The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. I think back to when you were in school. Okay. Take a walk back through the files in your head. Did you ever cheat on a test? Well, like it or not, cheating on tests is as old as classrooms themselves. And as technology changes, the way students can cheat continues to evolve as well. All you have to do is look online to find businesses that will help write papers or even give exam answers in real time. And what's interesting, since the start of the pandemic, uh, you know it has forced students to learn and take exams remotely. Experts who study academic integrity says there's been a rise in cheating since we all went into lockdown right about the middle of March. Dr. Sarah Elaine Eaton is an assistant professor at the University of Calgary's Workland School of Education. She is one of those experts on academic integrity, and she joins us now. Dr. Eaton, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so just how bad is it? Uh, what, what kind of numbers have you seen over the past couple of months? Well, you know, we're still collecting those those numbers through the winter semester, and part of the problem is that most institutions don't collect data around um, students who are engaging with third parties, such as uh, term paper mills, essay completion services, exam writing services. Um, it's simply something we don't haven't had the mechanisms to do. So we've been starting to track sort of anecdotally. And uh, I run a, a virtual community of practice with educators from across Canada. We meet once a week. And people are telling me in those circles that they see that the uh, engagement with these contract cheating companies, that's what they're called, these academic outsourcing (laughs) companies, is up by tenfold. You know, I have to tell you, you know, Dr. Eaton, it's been a long time, it's been a long time since I've written an exam. Uh, first off, I didn't know that there were businesses out there, there were companies out there that could help you cheat. I, I, I had no idea that this sort of thing was happening and it was as easy to access as it is. I'm, I was blown away by that. Yeah, and in fact, the, the BBC has estimated that this is a billion dollar U.S billion U.S. dollars per year, global industry. But those of us who study the field, we believe it's actually much higher than that. And the problem is that it exists mostly online. Sometimes the people who provide services are located offshore. They're in other countries writing services. It's as easy as you upload the instructions for the assignment, you put in the due date, and somebody delivers your assignment to you, and it's done. And all you have to do is, uh, is submit it. Boy, oh boy, uh, cheating on an exam sure has changed since I went to school, let me tell you that, my goodness. So um, with the rush um, to online work over the past couple of months, I mean, I think that obviously has created a huge challenge, not only for instructors, for professors, for teachers, but also for students. There's been an added level of stress to everything, hasn't there? You've hit the nail on the head because, you know, sometimes when I talk with people about this, they think, oh, the students, the cheaters. Like, students are also living through a global pandemic. And you you very aptly pointed out that it's not the same as when many of us were in school, right? If you're a Gen Xer like me uh, or, or for those who are boomers, it looked very different. And today's students have infinitely more complicated lives, sometimes with multiple jobs. We know that about a quarter of students are have family caregiving responsibilities now, whether they're looking after children or parents. It's a very, very different landscape for most of those students that 
idyllic stereotype of the student studying quietly alone in the in the the library that's gone that was gone decades ago and uh, the students have been you know thrown into online learning many of them don't know how to learn online yeah. we make assumptions yeah. about what they need they they should know or we think they know as digital natives and they're learning just like the rest of us you know, I was reading a, another article on this uh, earlier today, and, and this was one of the quotes in it, or one of the, the paragraphs. It says, probably, unfortunately, many students and teachers' first introduction to online learning has been rushed and insufficiently prepared. Some students, already burdened by the anxiety and fears of living through a pandemic, suffer from the digital divide. Teachers, many untrained in online learning are struggling to manage classes at home while juggling their own responsibilities and and i and i i thought to myself isn't that true my husband's a teacher and all of a sudden okay you have to figure out how to do this online and some of your kids don't maybe they don't necessarily have access to high-speed internet they don't have their sharing um they're sharing computers with their brothers and sisters there's a lot of layers to this infinitely so And we know, for example, you know, you've hit on a couple of the key issues. One of them might be access to technology. In some households, there might be one computer that needs to be shared by two parents, both of whom have full-time jobs, and two or three kids, all of whom are trying to learn online. It's, It's privileged families who have a device for every person. Not all families have stable internet connection. That's also, even even in urban areas, not all communities in all urban areas have stable internet access. So there's the access to the devices, and then there's the access to the internet connectivity. There are so many layers to this. Mm-hmm. You can't even begin to unpack it all. All right. So um, with the cheating online with maybe taking exams, whether it's whatever level that it's at, but I know in some of like post-secondary institutions, colleges, universities, they've they've started to implement uh, remote proctoring services. Again, didn't even know there was such a thing, but it's a huge business right now as well, and it's boomed uh, over the past three months. It uses artificial intel- intelligence to monitor online exams and try to ensure cheating isn't taking place, um, but it's not necessarily working as well as people had hoped what's the issue what are the issues there and what do you think needs to change yeah so these e-proctoring services have existed for a number of years right and they were um you know to the best of my knowledge uh it created for use in like testing environments if there wasn't mm-hmm. a human available to do the proctoring so i i use this analogy the e-proctoring services are to higher education what uh, hydroxychloroquine is to the virus. So it was created for a different purpose. People are running to it hoping for a quick solution without understanding all of the possible risks and implications. Uh, One of the things with e-proctoring services that really worries me and should worry students and educators is that we don't know the impact of these services on students' mental health. We know that stress during exams is normal, but we do not know to the the extent to which that stress and anxiety is exacerbated by e-proctoring services. So one of the questions I've put forward to people at my own university and other universities is, what happens if there's a mental health emergency while a student is being e-proctored by an artificial intelligence or by a third party in another country whom the student can't see? Those are questions we haven't begun to unpack, but I think it's important for educators and university administrators, college administrators to think about those risks before they run and sign a contract with the company. 
And you know what, Dr. Eaton, I've been, I've been hearing as well about privacy concerns. Some of the students who are being um, uh, proctored remotely, who are being watched during their exams remotely through these through these services, they're also concerned, yeah, there's privacy issues there. And, you know, another thing in the back of their head is like, what's being used? Who's watching me? Is it being recorded? What's What where, what happens to, the, to those recordings? I mean, these things, um, I, I don't know how well they're, they're monitored. I don't know if there's legislation around them. Do you? I don't know that there's legislation. That That is yeah. an excellent question. I think that those, those concerns are valid, and this level of surveillance around learning is something we need to ask a lot of questions about. I honestly think students' concerns are well-founded around this, uh, and we need to ask ourselves what happens when we try and, and police students in this way, right? What, what the companies are trying to do is recreate conditions that would happen, say, in an exam hall where, you know, there's all of these controlled variables, all students are writing in the same uh, location with the same lighting, sometimes with the same writing instrument, they have the same exam. Well, the reality is we're in this pandemic where we can't control all the variables. We can't mm-hmm. control what's in the student's background. We can't control, you know, if if the student's uh, parent uh, happens to pop into the room. I've heard mm-hmm. that, you know, the family pet runs into the room and the artificial intelligence picks up another body in the room because it tracks yeah. eyes and not faces. And it says, oh, you've cheated on your exam because your pet came into the room. Things like that are kind of ridiculous. Yeah, really interesting. But, you know, these are issues that are happening right now. Uh, the cheating is happening right now. The remote proctoring is happening right now. Um, this is something that the solutions for it or, you know, taking a close look at it really can't be put off. I mean, for, you know, years down the road. Do you believe that there's any willingness by schools to, to, to look at how to do this differently and maybe make changes or at least address some of the issues? I really do believe that. You know, I, I mean, I work at the University of Calgary and I know that University of Alberta and other universities have teaching and learning centers. The folks at those teaching and learning centers have literally been working around the clock for weeks now because they're experts in, uh, in pedagogy and instructional design and they're working with professors to address those questions, right? There's There's disciplinary differences. So what happens in an English literature class is different from what uh, happens in an engineering class, for example, or in a medical lab. So we have to be respectful of those disciplinary differences. And and even having educators willing to engage in conversations about how do I do this differently and what would it look like is a great starting point. So... um you know, all of the sectors that I have talked to since really the, the start of COVID and certainly when we went into uh, lockdown mode there in the middle of March um, have all said, yes, there are huge challenges through all of this. And there are, of course, major downsides to the pandemic on many fronts, but also a lot of sectors are being forced to look at doing things differently and are hopeful that they'll be able, their best practices will improve moving forward forward. Do you believe that there's going to be an upside for education on the other side of this? Yeah, I do in the long run, Um, because it's starting to generate conversations that we've been needing to have for a long time. So one of the questions that I'm posing to my fellow educators is, um, you know, in the way that you were assessed, perhaps with tests and final exams, is that really the best way to assess students in your discipline? Just because it's the way we were taught doesn't mean it's the way we need to teach going forward. And sometimes it's a, it's a provocation around 
how can I do things differently and what would that look like? There's no easy answers here. In some courses, exams are kind of the only way. In other disciplines, there might be opportunities to, to do things differently. In some of my courses, for example, I've started incorporating more oral exams uh, rather than written exams. Uh, and creative assignments around things like, could you do a podcast instead of an exam? Things like that. But it really requires sort of educators to think in new ways. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, and I think some educators are a little frustrated with, you know, how how to give marks. Maybe, you know, if, if we know that the kids, certainly maybe at the high school level, uh, if they were passing going into all of this, uh, they were just going to get passed anyway uh, on the back end. I mean, if you're looking at, you know, moving into possibly, you know, a very important exam towards getting a degree or something like that, we want to make sure that those students are, are being great fairly and not just getting a pass because the teacher is frustrated with the the way things are going or the professor is frustrated with the situation that they're in or they don't have a better way of doing it I mean let's let's make sure that the proper grades are being given well at the end of it yeah the, I mean people will earn a credential whether it's a high school yeah. diploma an undergrad degree a graduate degree that credential needs to mean something not Absolutely. only to the student who earned it but also to the institution that granted it and, and an employer who might give somebody a job based on that credential. So upholding the integrity of the credentials that we award is, is kind of the end game here. Uh, and we want people to come out having learned what they need to know in order to move on to the next step, whatever that might be, whether it's a, a job or another you know educational opportunity. Um, ultimately, people uh, will need whatever they've learned in order to move on to that next chapter in their lives. And you know what, Dr. Eaton, just before I let you go, I think it's important that we take a, a closer look at some of these these companies that are, are that are helping, uh, you know, students cheat. I know in some countries there are some rules around them. There's some legislation around uh, these companies, but Canada doesn't have legislation making term paper mills or assignment completion services illegal. And so that's something that somewhere along the line is going to have to change as well. I agree with you entirely. This is not a problem at one university. It's a problem no. at all of them. This is a national problem, a global problem. But in Canada, it's really time to start some national conversations around this but it, because it affects the entire educational sector. Dr. Eaton, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Take care now. That's Dr. Sarah Elaine Eaton. She is uh, at the University of Calgary's Workland School of Education. It's interesting, an article written, um, when you start talking about some of the numbers, some of the breakdown, um, McEwen University says they have some initial numbers um, from March 15th to the end of the semester, and they said it showed a 38% increase in academic dishonesty compared to the previous school year. Um, and uh, at McEwen, contract cheating, the process where you substitute someone else's work as your own, increased nearly 10 times during the 2019-2020 academic year as compared to the year before. So, but again, I mean, how easy is if you're working from home all the time and you can just... <laughs> I mean, but it's it's an interesting it's an interesting conversation, isn't it? I had no idea that these things were out there. Uh, again, it's been a long time since I wrote an exam. Did you know about this?